Hi, and welcome to The Escape Artist, a podcast for the culturally curious traveller. I'm Edwina Hart, I'm a travel journalist and photographer, and each week I'll be interviewing a special guest who has mastered the art of escape. We'll unpack how travel has influenced their lives and creative endeavours. This podcast is pure escapism for those always dreaming of their next destination. Hi, I'm Xander Parrish, and I'm a traveller who dances around the world. My guest today made history as the first British dancer to join the illustrious Marinsky Ballet in Russia's imperial city of St. Petersburg. Now, 10 years on, Yorkshire-born ballet dancer Xander Parrish is a principal dancer at one of the most famous ballet companies in the world. The Marinsky Theatre's reputation is legendary for classic masterpieces such as The Nutcracker, created within its very walls. And some of the greatest dancers to ever live have reigned supreme on its stage for nearly 200 years. Zander's life in Russia has a storybook quality, and it's not just because St. Petersburg is a city of jewel box coloured palaces. His repertoire includes romantic roles from the Prince in Swan Lake to Romeo, the ultimate historic heartthrob. He may be a dashing Englishman, but Zander has fully immersed himself in the heart of artistic life in Russia. He was awarded an OBE for his services to dance and to British-Russian cultural relations. Zander's insights into St. Petersburg offer a treasure trove of cultural delights. Beyond Russia, he has performed gravity-defying leaps in some of the most magical places around the globe. His travels will transport you to the pastel-hued streets of Havana, spilling over with Afro-Cuban beats, to a night dancing under the stars in an ancient Greek amphitheatre in Athens, and a secret archipelago off Italy's Amalfi Coast known as the Dance Island. Without further ado, here's Zander Parish OBE. Hello Zander, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Nice to talk to you today. Yeah, I'm so thrilled to get the opportunity to chat with you. Your life seems like it's straight out of a fairy tale. Uh, where, where in the world are you at the moment? Right now, I am sat in my flat in St. Petersburg in Russia. Okay, so you're truly far, far away from me in Sydney. Mm -hmm. Yes, very far. And you've been experiencing those gorgeous white nights for the past few months where the northern sun sort of barely dips beneath the horizon and you get those endless evenings. Is that a time of year that you enjoy? I love the white nights, yeah. In fact, there's some colours in the sky here, particularly in the the late evening uh, during white nights. I've never seen anywhere else. It's a sort of a, a turquoisey blue that's just so rich. You wouldn't believe it's real. It's just gorgeous. And of course, with that backdrop of the magnificent palatial buildings, Mm. the only time that I've ever been to St. Petersburg was during White Nights and it was just... You've been? I have. I love, I mean, it's just such um, a phenomenal city. I absolutely fell headfirst in love with it because I feel like a place like Italy, everyone talks about the culture and the architecture and the art. and, And then you go to St. Petersburg and wonder why everyone's not talking about St. Petersburg all the time because it's just remarkable. It's stunning. I feel like I'm living in a sort of a living museum. Every street has a story, every canal, every every building is like a new museum or a palace or something. It's just gorgeous. It's a mm. beautiful place. And it's called the Venice of the, the North, North, isn't it? Yes, exactly. But before we dive into exploring St. Petersburg, which is something I desperately want to do with you, and I have a feeling mm. that during this episode we're really going to learn a lot about Russia, but my first mm. question that I always ask, is there a book, a film, a song, or a piece of art that inspired you to travel somewhere? Oh, well, that's a good question. Um, 
No, because I've never traveled for the sake of going somewhere. Uh, I've only traveled for my work. I travel everywhere all the time. I'm traveling on planes and trains all the time. Uh, so I've never actually had time to go, oh, wow, I really want to go there and then go. I've never done that. I mean, being a, a ballet dancer takes such dedication and you've been dedicated to the craft um, mm-hmm. for, for since you were a child. I want to go back yeah. for a moment in time, well well before you were principal dancer at one of the mm. world's most storied ballet companies. So what is your fondest travel memory from your childhood? Well, when I was a child, my parents would take my sister and myself uh, on vacation every summer to Portugal, to the Algarve. Every year, I knew it was coming up. I'd look forward to it. And I have lovely memories of being on big, wide, deep, sandy beaches with the cold Atlantic Ocean splashing mm. and building sandcastles. I have wonderful memories of being in the Algarve. Especially coming from, from Yorkshire, where it's a lot more of a, <laughs> yes. a moody sort of setting. And then you go to oh, the, yes. the sunny Algarve in Portugal, and then you're eating sardines beachside. Yeah, and it's such exactly. a different experience to what you would have grown up with in Yorkshire. Totally. What's Yorkshire like for listeners who haven't been to Yorkshire before? Yorkshire is, we call it God's own country in, in England. It's green, it's usually raining, but it's full of friendly people, friendly folk, as we'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, with lots of greenery, hills and dales and all sorts. You've got four counties make up Yorkshire. So you've got the North Yorkshire, which is uh, got the North York Moors, and full of heather and up to Whitby, and where you've got the coast and all the fish in the markets and the you know, scampi you can eat in the restaurants there. And it's just it's a great place. I love, I, love, I love Yorkshire. Obviously, I'm from Hull, which is in East Yorkshire. That's more flat. We have uh, lots of rapeseed fields, so it's bright yellow in the summer. And you've got the big Humber Bridge sticking out from nowhere, which once was the longest single-span suspension bridge in the world. As a young boy from Yorkshire, how did you first get interested in the world of ballet? That would be my sister's fault. So (laughs) my sister is 15 months younger than myself. We were always very close growing up, and we went to the Royal Ballet School together. Mm -hmm. So when I was eight years old, at that point in time, I was big on cricket. Cricket was my was my dream it was mm-hmm. my to play in the ashes against australia would have been my my life's goal and to take a few wickets and you know knock you guys <laughs> for six <laughs> that was my that was my goal but anyway football cricket tennis i was an active child mm. and then my sister was doing ballet as well and one day i happened to see a, a show which she was putting on with her local ballet school and i turned to mom and i said you know why is demelza on stage having fun i'm sat on the chair watching i was like i want to do that too and so with that, mum took me to, to ballet class with, with my sister. And that's how it all started. Oh, wow. And so the story goes that you went to train at the Royal Ballet School and then later you were discovered languishing in the ranks of the Royal Ballet, carrying spears instead of performing solos. So how did you end up in Russia? That's a great question. Yes, that's absolutely true. So basically after the Royal Ballet School, when I was 19, I graduated from school. I got a contract with the Royal Ballet, which is every dancer's dream from England. To join the Royal Ballet is like a dream come true. It's such a prestigious ballet company. Yeah, it's, it's the best company in the UK. And so I wanted to dance there from being 11 years old. So I joined the company, but I was cast as doing you know, the walk-on parts, the spear holders, you know, carrying <laughs> props. And it was very tedious. I tried my best to get noticed, but they just weren't interested in me, sadly. You know, every director has their own vision of their company. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I wasn't in that vision, unfortunately. But one day, a ballet master from Russia came to London and set some classes for us. And 
I just took to this guy. He was energetic and young and he just, he was really nice to me in class. And after class, I just walked over and said, you know, could I show you a few jumps? Maybe you could help me with them. And he was really friendly and said, yeah, okay, sure, show me. So we did a few jumps and then he corrected me and I showed a few more. And with that, we worked for like half an hour together, one-on-one, -on -one, just doing jumps and like just doing some training. It was really, really nice, just easy, you know? Mm. No, no uh, ulterior motive. It was just about wanting to learn. And then with that, he went back to Russia. Six months passed. And that same man became director of the Marinsky Ballet Company. You're he kidding me. me. Wow. I'm not. I'm serious. He remembered me. He gave me a message and said, you know, I'm director of the company here now. How, how, how are things in London? Are you dancing? I said, no, I'm holding spears. And he said, well, come to Russia and I'll, I'll, let, I'll, I'll let you dance. And that was that. So I came. Wow. That is amazing that that happened. So that yeah. came about. And, and what was the name of that man? Uh, Yuri Fatehev. Okay, so Yuri comes along and invites you to move your life from the the Royal Ballet uh, at Covent Garden. You'd never been to Russia before. That's right. And so you take this giant leap of faith. Mm -hmm. What was the reality? Like, what were your first impressions of St. Petersburg and arriving at the Marinsky Theatre? Well, I didn't choose the best time to go to Russia. I arrived in Petersburg on the 9th of January 2010, so 10 years ago. Uh, and the day I arrived, it was a mild day, apparently, which was minus 15 Celsius. Oof. And yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. And the snow was deeper than my knees. Oh my I mean, I, ki I kid you not, it was probably a meter deep. And that was just where it was settled. They cleared it to the side of the roads. It was huge mounds of snow everywhere. And when I, when I arrived in Russia, I didn't know where I was going to live that night because I just Theatre said, come, we'll take care of you. So I just, I just came. Firstly, what an incredible leap of faith just to, it just was to turn off like that. So, so you <laughs> arrived and then, and then what happened? There was a, an interpreter waiting for me in the arrivals hall with a sign saying Xander Parish. And so I, I found him. He's called Dmitry Yadamakov. And uh, Dima, as I call him now, he's become my uncle. Like literally, he's like, adopted me. Aww. He's like my, he's the most amazing person I could ever, ever have hoped for. Anyway, this, this man was a ch cheerful as, as cheerful as you could imagine. I mean, his smile was the biggest contrast to everyone else in the arrivals hall. Yeah. Because <laughs> there aren't many smiley faces around the Russian streets. And um, yeah, what's up with that? I certainly noticed the distinct lack of smiles when I visited Russia for the very first time. And then later, uh, a friend of mine um, who's Russian said that although Russian people seem really cold and somewhat standoffish when you see them on the street, that once you get to know them, they're some of the warmest and most generous people that you'll ever meet. I agree with that 100%. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It just takes time to get to know them. They're, they don't um, show their hand easily. So once they trust you and know you, they will open up to you like your family. Mm. But until that time, it's, it can be a little bit closed. But that's just the way they are. Do you have to do a few vodka shots with them to kind of get to that space? <laughs> that, that certainly helps. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you've met, you've met, is it Dimitri? Met Dimitri, yes, that's right. So Dimitri took me in a car to the theatre and we drove through these dark, it was 3pm, mind you, 3pm, and it was pitch black outside it was dark as night and the snow was everywhere orange street lights flooded the the roads everywhere and we turned a corner and suddenly there in front of me was the Marinsky like this emerald sort of glinting in the snow it was just beautiful oh, and magical. it was so magical yeah it was covered in there was a Christmas tree outside covered in lights there were lights outside and it was really twinkling and like a huge contrast to the ice and the snow everywhere like a winter winter wonderland 
it was totally. I'd seen this building so many times in documentaries and in books, and suddenly there it was in front of me. It was just like it hit me like wow, I'm <laughs> like I'm here. What did that feel like for you? Oh, it felt it felt surreal because I could touch it. It was right in front of me, mm. but it was like I was in a dream or like it wasn't quite reality. Mm. You know, it was hard to describe. And it turned out that the theatre had a building next door with flats in it and they put me in one of those flats i started working for the company i've been there now 10 years which has just flown by oh my gosh and when you arrived you didn't speak a word of russian not a word not a word i could say uh, done yet and that was it and russian is notoriously difficult they've got a, a different alphabet mm-hmm. you know what was that like beginning your your scheduling and, and trying to learn from the teachers and, and get ready for your roles it was a nightmare <laughs> a nightmare i couldn't understand anything <laughs> Um, the schedule is posted on the notice board every day for the next day and so I would learn my name in Cyrillic parish and then I would literally spend half an hour stood there searching through every word to try and recognise my name and then just try and figure it out like um, like a like decoding a cryptic message or something <laughs> oh my gosh. and it took me ages to get used to it but eventually bit by bit I got used to it at this point, did you just think you were a bit crazy? <laughs> I, I knew that a long time ago. But I mean, <laughs> this is just confirming it. I mean, I love an adventure. I'm, I, I love doing anything that's different. And I mm. thought, you know, no one's gone uh, west to east before in terms of going to live and dance and work in the ballet world anyway. And so... Is it true that you were the first ever Westerner to join the company full time? I'm certainly the first complete outsider from the West to, to just turn up and join the Marinsky Theatre. Mm. Um, since since I've joined the company, we've had a few more foreigners join. We've now got about 12, 12 I think 11 or, 11 or 12 foreigners working in the Marinsky now. And I feel honoured to have paved the way for these yeah. guys cause, because they, a lot of them tell me that they heard my story and they, were in, they believed and they were inspired to come and join the company because they knew I had succeeded here and it was possible. Mm. That's incredible that you inspired so many others to follow in your footsteps. You really did, I guess, pave the way. And as, as a trailblazer, when you first arrived from England, the other dancers weren't used to um, just having this foreign person turn up out of the blue and join their company. Were, were the other dancers very welcoming? Um, not particularly. When I first came, no, they, they, were, they were very cold. But again, that was my perception because I found them cold because I was used to friendly Westerners who were very open immediately. Mm. And so I didn't understand the culture. It's been many years since you first arrived and you now call many of those dancers your very close friends. So how did you form those friendships? Well, through a lot of touring, actually. The Marinsky Theatre tours a lot. We go away many, many, many times every year around, around the world. And when I, when I joined the company, I was in the quarter ballet and the quarter ballet dancers share rooms. And so on each tour, I was sharing with a new person and we would, um, you know, living together, eating together, going to restaurants, doing shows, exploring cities. It actually made me bond with my, with my colleagues mm. in a way that I wouldn't have had had I not been doing the touring. Mm, that's so true of travel I guess in general, it's such a a bonding experience because you're thrown into these foreign places and you have to navigate your surroundings with the people that you find yourself with. I want to talk to you about some of your exciting touring experiences later in the conversation. But first, I'm really curious to know if the cultural differences between the West and the Russian way of life, um, you know, did you experience that? Can you think of a time when things got a little lost in translation perhaps? I can't say that I was blown over by big differences in culture. I mean, 
I remember when I first came to the theatre in my first month, I crossed the street in the wrong place. You couldn't tell what the signs even said. They were so covered in snow. And I followed some locals across the road at a place where I thought it was probably fine to cross, but it wasn't. And the policeman took me aside out of all the crowd. Oh, no. And my friend actually came to the rescue then. He came around the corner. He knew me from rehearsals. And he said, oh, why are you talking to the police? And he tried to help me. And he ended up calling one of our managers in the theatre and pretending it was our boss of the theatre, who's quite famous in Russia. Mm. And the policeman got so spooked by hearing that we worked for the theatre and hearing this boss's name being used, he was very well known in St. Petersburg. Mm. He just, he said, he said, go, leave. He got in the car and drove away. <laughs> he was so spooked by it. <laughs> that is amazing. That leads me really nicely to just giving people an understanding of the cultural significance of the Marinsky Ballet. Mm. You know, it, it's such an institution. It obviously holds great gravitas for a policeman to sort of scurry off when he hears the name yeah. of the company. Can you tell us about a little bit about the history and why it's so amazing? The Marinsky is a very important theatre in Russia because it was founded by, by one of the Tsarina's, um, Maria. Obviously, it's called Marinsky after her. Uh, and... It was made in 1860, that's when they built the theatre. And the fact that it survived the Soviet period is quite amazing because it obviously was a, a czarist institution. And for it to survive through the Soviet period without being destroyed, it's quite a miracle, to be honest. But the Marinsky is a, I mean, one of the crown jewels of, of Russia. Mm, it has such an extraordinary history. And some of ballet's most legendary names are part of its incredible past. Do you think you could enlighten myself and the listeners in regards to the who's who of ballet? Yeah, sure, with pleasure. So uh, Marius Petipa was a Frenchman who came to St. Petersburg to work at the Marinsky Theatre in the late 1800s. And together with Tchaikovsky, they created together the most famous ballets you will have ever heard of, Swan Lake, Nutcracker and Sleeping Beauty. Mm. And these three scores by Tchaikovsky were made together with Petipa making the choreography and they premiered Beauty and Nutcracker both premiered in the Marinsky Theatre. The Marinsky Theatre um, has spawned, shall I say, some of the most famous dancers ever in the world. Rudolf Nureyev, Mikhail Baryshnikov, Natalia Makarova, Nijinsky for instance, wow. who was the famous Spectre Rose and who, the huge jump who had a nervous breakdown and went crazy. Mm. Uh, there is a huge, hugely famous dancers. Anna Pavlova, who has the dessert mm. named after her, the Pavlova. Yeah, we know that all too well in Australia and New Zealand. We have this long-held rivalry over who invented the Pavlova, <laughs> uh, which is named after after Anna Pavlova, as you said. And, um, yeah, it's it's apparently was created in honour of the ballerina during one of her tours down under, I think, in the 1920s. But I'm not really sure how true that is. Oh, <laughs> so like I gave the right example in that yeah. case. Excellent. <laughs> so how does it? How does it feel to perform on the same stage that some of the world's greatest dancers ever rose to fame, like Nijinsky, Pavlova, Nureyev, and Baryshnikov? It feels surreal. It, it's like it's such a dream. The Marinsky Theatre is a living being, and you can feel the the presence, the past, the past accomplishments of these dancers who've gone before you on the stage. You're dancing. It has this atmosphere of just history. It's weight. You can feel it in the air. It's got such a weight of history and and beauty and grandeur just in the whole building. The backstage and in fact the front of house haven't been really much changed uh, in the past 
hundred odd years. So I know that you know Nijinsky actually used these mirrors. He actually walked down this corridor. Wow. Nureyev actually, you know, was in this studio. You know, and to have that that history gone before you, mm. it inspires you to push on to try and achieve. I mean, even even a, even a smidge of what they achieved to try and attain the levels they the standards they set. Particularly for male dancers, Nirov and Brishnikov and Nijinsky, these guys set the bar so high. I'm so grateful for that, actually. Mm. I can I can see how dancing on the same stage as the greats that have gone before you must be mm. so deeply inspiring. And I wonder, just the the city of St. Petersburg itself, as you said, it's a it's a living museum, it's a treasure trove of art and culture. Does the city itself inspire you? Oh, absolutely. I... I absolutely believe it does. In fact, I really hoped that the beauty and elegance of this imperial, beautiful city would affect my dancing and and in the years to come that I work here would seep into my style and into my technique and into my, even my uh, interpretations of roles and how I perform them. I dance a lot of prince roles. I get cast for a lot of the, you know, Swan Lake Prince or Nutcracker Prince or Beauty Prince. It was a great honor to do those parts. And living in a city that's full of palaces and royal history, mm. I do hope that seeps into my character and affects how I perform these parts. It makes you feel like you're almost on set the entire time, if that makes any sense. That's you know? beautifully, beautifully put. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, if you're a first-time visitor to St. Petersburg, mm. which ballet would you say is an absolute must? Well... Anyone who's a first-time visitor would want to see Swan Lake at the Marinsky Theatre mm. because I don't think anywhere else in the world does Swan Lake like the Marinsky. The Marinsky Ballet is the, is the standard bearer of classical classical technique, classical ballet, especially the quarter ballet. The quarter ballet girls from the Marinsky Theatre are famous for their perfect lines, perfect positions, perfect unison. To see that in situation, you know, in the Marinsky itself, with the Tchaikovsky music, knowing it was created there, I think it's... Um, a special thing to see. Mm. The other one that I can imagine would just be so magnificent would be the Nutcracker at Christmas time. Mm. Oh, absolutely. That's a tradition here for many, many Russians. Many Peters- Petersburgers had their first ballet experience by being taken to the ballet at Christmas by the babushka or by oh. the grandmother. Yeah, and it's always Nutcracker usually. So in the shows around Christmas and New Year, because obviously in, actually in Russia, Christmas was uh, illegal, well, it wasn't celebrated during the Soviet Union. Mm. And so they made, the Soviet authorities made uh, New Year the big celebration to try and, you know, get rid of the religious festival of Christmas. So they made New Year the big festival. So like we celebrate Christmas, they celebrate New Year. They give gifts and that's the big deal in Russia. And so, yeah, and so the shows around New Year of Nutcracker are always packed with children who are full of excitement and you can feel the energy in the in the in the auditorium of these youngsters who are watching for the first time or taking in the ballet and being inspired and that's wonderful it's oh. a lovely lo- lovely atmosphere sounds utterly enchanting and with the snow outside i mean just the whole mm. storybook setting just sounds it is perfect, so yeah. so beautiful so someone coming to st petersburg and visiting how do they get a real feel for st petersburg what are some of your favorite things to do and see in the city one of my favourite ones is actually um, the Yusupov Palace, which is just around the corner from the Marinsky, but it's uh-huh. where Rasputin was murdered. Oh my gosh, yeah, I went there when I was in St. Yeah. Petersburg, and Rasputin is just the most 
a curious, like fascinating figure in in history. Totally, not, it's not fascinating. Just, not just Russian history, but just history in general. I mean, he's this mystic yeah. who completely yeah. puppeteered the Romanov uh, royals. So yeah, tell yeah. us what what happened there. So in uh, basically, the palace Yusupov Palace was home of the Yusupov family. Um, but uh, anyway, this this guy could see the power which Rasputin was wielding against the Romanovs and how he was manipulating them and he wanted to rid them of Rasputin. So him and his conspirators decided to invite Rasputin to a dinner at, at the palace in his honour and then they took him downstairs and they all toasted vodka shots or drinks together. Mm. His was laced with poison. Yeah. And they knocked it back and they kept on playing cards or whatever, you know. And he didn't, he didn't keel over. He was fine. And they were like, oh my goodness, what's going on? They did it again, I believe. I think it was twice maybe they did it. Yeah. And again, he was okay. They were like, oh my goodness, this guy's like immortal or something. <laughs> yeah. And so one of the guys went away, got a gun and shot him. And literally there, there in the palace, downstairs, I believe it was, they showed me the room where it was done. Mm. In. There's, there's a whole waxwork thing going on to show you in the palace where it was. Yeah, I've seen that. It's, it's a bit creepy. <laughs> <laughs> it is rather creepy, yeah, but quite... <laughs> quite funny and uh anyway they killed it they thought they shot him so they went upstairs and back to the back to the border and whatever and celebrated his demise but with that he he wasn't dead he escaped through a side door and he went down the street he was wounded but he managed to escape and then i believe they found out he'd gone they followed him outside shot him again and then that didn't kill him it was did he fall in the river I think they threw him in the river to try and to try and get rid of him. It was just unstoppable. And they found him. He didn't die from his wounds. He died from hypothermia. Oh my gosh! One of the most mysterious murders of the the twentieth century. Totally for sure. bizarre. And in the yeah. Yusupov as well, there's that Rococo private theater. Have you been in there? Yes, I have. It's beautiful. Oh, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Have you ever performed uh, there? I haven't. I would love to. I danced in the, in the Hermitage Theatre, which is also a little theatre in the, in the Hermitage. And that's that's also beautiful. Oh my goodness, have you really? The Hermitage is just beyond belief. Mm. The collection of artworks there is remarkable. I think yeah. that there are over three million items in total. Um, but it's housed in the magnificent Winter Palace and... It's one of, I guess, it's one of Russia's most magnificent buildings. Yeah, I just love Palace Square. It's got everything. It's got the beauty of the Hermitage. It's got yellow. It's got green. It's got beautiful buildings. It's mm. got the sky. Mm. And mm. I couldn't agree with you more. It's just such a beautiful part of the city. And um, now we've done all this cultural sightseeing, where might you recommend stepping in for a bite to eat and getting a taste of Russian cuisine. There are very, very good restaurants in Petersburg. There's one opposite the Marinsky One called Sadko, named after the opera. It's where I ate on my first night in Russia, actually. And it's all the blinis and all the, you know, the soups, the borshes and the everything you can imagine. Everything you want to try, you can try there. It's mm-hmm. great. And it's good quality. It's got even some of the uh, waiters in the restaurant are from the music conservatoria opposite the Marinsky. They train uh, there in the day and serve tables at night and uh, they often come together and sing oh, during wow. the yeah it's absolutely terrific I've been there a few times when they've actually suddenly there's like a silence falls on the restaurant and the waiters come together and sing a cappella this like 
gorgeous music and you're like, oh my goodness, these guys are talented. It's really impressive. Oh, that's such a fantastic tip. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, And fantastic. would you say that's the most extravagant place that you've dined in St. Petersburg? Uh, I went to a, a black tie ball in the Fabergé Museum oh, and God. that was just something exquisite. It was like I'd gone back in time mm. and I was living in the, in, the, in the Russian Empire. It was like something amazing and all these beautiful eggs and pieces of jewellery and exquisite little things. It's like, oh my goodness, how do they create this beauty? And it was all there in the Fabergé Museum. So you were just whining and dining amongst all this exquisite yeah. historical... Um, Can you, you believe know, it? No. Extraordinary. So is that the life of a, of a lead ballet yeah, dancer? Guess, That's quite okay, Occasionally, but between shows and rehearsals, I suppose it can be. Because, yeah. <laughs> Wow, that sounds almost sort of James Bond-esque. Well, yes, I like to think of it like that. <laughs> so beyond St. Petersburg, I know Russia is such a vast country, but what are some other highlights? Like, Have you ever stayed in a, a Dutch, is it called a Dacha? Dacha, oh, Dacha. I love Dachas. My, uh, Boris, the guy who's, who helped me with the policeman, became one of my closest friends after that experience. And he has a fantastic Dacha, maybe one hour south of Petersburg, in a place called Shapki. It's like, it's like a wooden house, which is on the edge of the forest. And in the winter, I remember my first visit there was in the winter. It was probably minus 20 outside. And the, even inside, all the pipes, the toilet, it was all frozen solid. I mean, literally frozen. And so Boris lit a fire in the fireplace with wood. And we once the fire got going, it heated up the house. And it's all wooden walls. And it smells of like pine. I love oh, that wow. lovely, sweet, piney smell. And then in the morning, you open the curtains and you've got a view of trees, just pine trees and forest everywhere. And snow, of course. Or in the summer, you know, just greenery everywhere. And his dacha has a, a lake, maybe about a 10-minute walk into the forest. And the first time there, it was winter. I didn't know it was a lake. We went there and suddenly the trees cleared. There was a huge white clearing hmm. in the middle of the forest. And I was like, what's going on here? Why are there no trees? We walked along it and suddenly I was walking on ice oh, on the wow. lake. It was you know, thick, maybe a a meter thick it's so cold and you can jump up and down you can drive a car across it i mean it's so thick you could be up i'm serious it's like absolutely solid anyway uh in the summer it's a big lake where you can swim in it it's really nice you sound like such a, a true russian with this experience yeah, that's right. you really have immersed yourself in russian culture i have yeah so as a ballet dancer, you have the opportunity to travel to all corners of the globe when you're on tour. And I'm sure you have some wonderful travel tales from your time touring with the Royal Ballet earlier in your career and then later with the Marinsky Ballet. Um, yes. One that I did want to bring up. So for many people, when they think of dance in Cuba, they think mm. of salsa. So it may be surprising to hear that ballet is very popular in Cuba. Can mm. you tell us a little bit about your experience performing in Havana? Absolutely. Back when I was in the Royal Ballet, our big star of the company was Carlos Acosta, a Cuban himself. And we went on tour for a week to Havana with him. Back then, I was in the Royal Ballet doing my spear holdings. I had no <laughs> responsibility at all. So I could literally go out and explore. And just I just had a great time. We went to the beach. We took a car. One of the, the old-fashioned 1950s cars? Yeah, yeah, I think it was. I think it was one of those beautiful sort of um, Miami Vice-style sort of, you know, yeah. beautiful old cars. And... Um, yeah, Cuba's incredible. I absolutely love it. It's just amazing. What were some of your impressions of Havana? I was struck by the, by the colours. It's so vibrant. Every building is a pastely, beautiful, bright colour. Funnily enough, 
striking me just now. It's so it's same as here in Petersburg, mm, actually. You're right. All the buildings also are pastel-y. But I think with the sunshine, the brightness, the colours appear so different. Mm. You know, to compare the two cities. But also in, in Cuba, you've got crumbling facades and that poetic sort of film set feel. It's yeah. got that element of decay, whereas St. Petersburg yes. is very well kept. And, and so in that yes. way, it's different. But you're right, the colours are strikingly, strikingly similar. Yeah. Um, what about, you know, you're obviously trained classically in ballet, but do you find yourself drawn to different forms of local dance when you're visiting a foreign place? Like in Cuba, did you go and dance the salsa or try to learn some other dance moves? <laughs> no, not at all. No, I mean, I, I watched, I watched, of course, in the streets, it's everywhere. People dancing salsa, they're doing people with guitars, singing, dancing everywhere, all over the place. The streets are just alive. It's so vibrant. And of course, I soaked it in, I watched, I enjoyed it, and buy a drink and sit and watch, but I wasn't going to go and join in the salsa. I don't, I'm not going to try and take on the Cubans at their own game. <laughs> That's uh, not the best idea. But, but no, I certainly enjoyed it. The atmosphere was just inspirational. Just, you know, it, it, it uh, lifts the soul. Mm. completely and when you performed did you perform in the grand theater yes we did that's right yes beautiful lovely atmosphere and actually a similar atmosphere to here at the Marinsky because you can feel the history historical theaters have that history inside them and that wherever you are you can feel a historical theater has a different atmosphere to a modern theater mm. i can only imagine that each performance space carries a different feeling um for you as an artist and as a dancer where do you think is one of the most magical places that you've ever performed? Of course. When I was in school still, uh, I must have been 17, 18 years old. I had a competition uh, in Athens during the Athens Olympic Games. And they had a ballet competition which was held in the uh, Herod Atticus Odeon, which uh, is under the Acropolis. And it's an open-air uh, amphitheatre, which is just the most exquisite sight you can imagine for a performance. And we went there, me and my, my classmates, and um, the final took place at night time, maybe 9pm. It's quite late, I remember, because it was hot, obviously, being in the summer and being outside. And we had this show. And I remember dancing on the stage in front of 5,000 people were watching the wow. show. Uh, all sat on the stone steps. Uh, and up to my right was the uh, Acropolis. And all above was the stars. I mean, it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but they were twinkling everywhere. It's just like... It was just exquisite. I remember thinking, wow, this is, this is such a wonderful experience. How divine is that? That sounds completely out of this world. And speaking of amazing settings, I did hear that you were lucky enough to visit Rudolf Nureyev's beloved private island off the Amalfi Coast. That's right. Which is also known as the Dance Island because it had this reputation with Russian dancers and artists and intellectuals. Um, who would visit over the years. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I was nominated for an award, which is called the Positano Prix. The award culminates in a performance, which is held in Positano, which is in Italy. This gorgeous town built into the side of the cliffs. The streets are so steep and so narrow, there's no cars in there, I believe. And um, the day after the performance, uh, we were taken on a speedboat from Positano Beach, along the uh, shore and there was the island like sticking out of this beautiful blue water just sticking out like a rock out of nowhere and we pulled up we walked up to the top up the stone steps very steep steps up this like cliff and on the top of this huge rock was built two houses and a huge patio with trees and utterly a gorgeous location and it was just amazing we were shown around by the owners 
and given a tour and it was a really special experience. Well, you seem to be following in the footsteps of NURAF everywhere you go. Well, I'm... <laughs> I'm trying, trying very hard. <laughs> well, they're pretty great footsteps to be following. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree. I would certainly agree. <laughs> and now this actually leads me very nicely to a fun hypothetical I wanted to ask you. Sure. So, if you were on a long haul flight and you could sit next to any dancer from any time, who would it be, and where would you be going? Wow, what a good question. That's an amazing <laughs> question. <gasps> Wow, I love the question. <laughs> I, wow, wow. I think it would have to be Nijinsky, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. Nijinsky is just this mythical dancer of the early 1900s who had this mythical leap where he could just jump and float in the air and defy gravity. And he was like animalistic in his movements. And, and I see all these old black and white pictures of him in these poses where he's big crazy eyes and these this this expressions of just pure emotion with it's hard to unpack what you're looking at in his pictures because it's so full of everything i want to, i'd love to be able to see him in the real and just mm. sit there on, on the plane with him have a chat you know what do you think about when you're when you're jumping how do you hang in the air i'd love to talk to him about that where would we go well, somewhere, somewhere far away, so it's a long time to talk to him. <laughs> really? Maybe Australia? <laughs> Australia, exactly. Definitely Australia. Perfect. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so great. And I can just hear the passion coming through in everything that you say. It's really inspiring. And you've really inspired me to revisit Russia and to explore more of such a fascinating country. There's so much to see. Oh, it's just endless. And and seeing a performance at the Marinsky Theatre is so high up on my bucket list. So I'll yeah. have to time my visit for when you're performing. Yes, let me know when you're coming and I'll get you a ticket. Oh, that would be <laughs> so amazing. I can't wait. Um, before you go, where are you dreaming of escaping to next? Um, well, seeing that talking to you, I want to come to Australia. I've not been there before. The iconic Sydney Opera House is somewhere I would just love to dance, seeing as it's one of the most famous places in the world to perform. It's on my bucket list of you know, dreams, dream places to perform. So. We'd be absolutely, we'd be honoured to have you. So uh, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you, Xander. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure for me too. Thanks for sharing the world of ballet, your love of St. Petersburg and your incredible travel tales with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. That was the British-born principal dancer of the famed Marinsky Ballet, Zander Parrish. It was a privilege to chat with him, and for such a distinguished dancer, wasn't he so wonderfully down-to-earth? I've now added seeing The Nutcracker performed at the Marinsky Theatre to my Christmas wish list. And thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so that others can discover this podcast as well. Of course, I'd love to hear from you. And if you're looking for some more travel inspiration, you can find me on Instagram at Escape Artist Podcast. See you next week for another episode of The Escape Artist.